Hello, good evening. We are in um, Psalm 119 and we'll be reading verses 113 to 120. And uh, even though the word isn't mentioned in this passage, the battle, the passage is about a battle with idolatry. This, this is the psalmist's meditation on how to fight against idolatry in his own heart. The great sin of the Bible. Psalm 119, 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes for their coming is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments. Idolatry is a sin we all contend with, and we may not think that because we've never bowed down for a statue or um, pursued another religion, turned our backs on the Bible, discounted Jesus, denied the gospel. But even if we haven't done those things, we struggle with idolatry. When we find our deepest satisfaction in something or someone, anything else apart from God, we are idolatrous. We're double-minded, to use the language of the psalmist. And in this psalm, the psalmist has has words for counsel for us as we fight the battle against idolatry. The battle that he fights and lost sometimes. And by God's grace, the battle he fought and won sometimes. Number one, wholehearted devotion to God and his word. 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. The psalmist is saying that wholehearted devotion to God and loyalty to his word It's the mindset and the heart aspiration of every believer. Double-minded is another way of saying religious ambivalence. Divided loyalty in relation to God. There are a number of passages in the Old Testament that illustrate that. 1 Kings 18, 21. When Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. The people didn't answer a word. You have to, you can't, you have to do one or the other, Baal or God. And what are they struggling with? In the language of Psalm 119, double-mindedness. The struggle with idolatry. They worship the Baals rather than the one true living God. Joshua addresses it in that famous passage, 24, Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, well as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is saying to the people that some of them attempted to worship the gods of the land just like the people of God were tempted in the wilderness to go back and serve the gods of Egypt. And some of you may be tempted to go back and serve the gods that Abraham's father's family worshipped before they ever crossed into the land, all those hundreds of years before. But as for me, as for my family, we're going to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. And what is Joshua calling them to do? Not be double-minded, not to commit the sin of idolatry, He's calling them to be sold out in their devotion to God and loyal to his word. That is the mindset, the heart aspiration of the believer. 
But believers struggle with double-mindedness. James talks about double-mindedness twice and he is writing to Christians. James 1, 8, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James 4, 8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. James knows double-mindedness is a sin that we all struggle with. The battlefield of this sin is the battlefield of the heart, the battlefield of our desires. When you find thoughts in your heart that are worldly or carnal or proud or hateful or impure or roving, that is a warning sign. It is a warning sign that there's something wrong. There's double-mindedness here. And the psalmist is saying as a resolve, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Number two, God himself is our shelter and our shield. Verse 114, you're my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. The psalmist is saying that God himself is our shelter and our shield. God himself is our help and our hope. God himself is our only place of safety in this sinful world. Idolatry is a lie. It's always a lie that there is another place that you can find security apart from God. There is another place where you'll find satisfaction other than God. And that's how idolatry always works by a lie that an offer is made that is contrary to our finding our safety, our security, our satisfaction in God. That is contrary to finding our help and our hope in God. We fall for it so often. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden or David in the time when the kings went out to war or Peter in the courtyard in the night before our Lord was betrayed, even though the Lord had warned him ahead of time. Why? Because this thing is fought at the level of our desires. Well, just imagine a picture of a scene. Someone can say, I am so lonely. And that desire for loneliness can be overpowering to the point that that person is willing to do what God has said not to do in order to find a solution for the loneliness. That is idolatry because it is saying that, Lord, you are not enough to be my shield. You're not my stay. You cannot be my help. You cannot be my hope. I can only find that elsewhere, even though you told me I should not seek it there. So it is so important for us to understand what David is saying and what David was saying and what the psalmist is saying, that God himself is our shelter and our shield, our help and our hope, the only place of safety in this sinful world. And when we look to anything or anyone else to assuage the loneliness, to fulfill the desires, to satisfy the longing, it will fail us and we will have given way to idolatry. Three, bad company corrupts good morals. 115, depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. The psalmist is saying that when we join with, when we make company with, when we bond in friendship with, when we enter into intimate relations with those who are worldly, those whose hearts are not with God, for God, those who are wicked, we work our own ruin. The, the Apostle Paul says, quoting another writer, bad company corrupts good morals. So when you place yourself in a company, a company that's characterised by idolatry, by worldliness, do not be surprised when you're influenced by that company. It's important for us to understand who we align with, who we fight the fight with, who we walk with in this world is important in our fight against idolatry. I'm so glad that the Lord has given me Christian friends to fight the fight with. I need them. I need them desperately. I couldn't do it without them. But if I were in the steady company of idolaters, I would certainly fail. And the psalmist is reminding us of that. He says, depart from me, you evildoers. I want to keep the commands of God. 
I'm not going to be at home with you. It isn't that we have to cut ourselves off from sinners, that we have to withdraw from the world. And it's not, he isn't saying that I'm going to be mean to sinners. He's saying the place of belonging, the place of deep companionship, the place of relationship is going to be with people who love God, people who are determined to be loyal to God, people who have that same aspiration for wholehearted devotion to God and loyalty to his word that I want to have. And when we join in friendship with the world and the wicked, we work our own ruin. Four, God's word is the believer's strength against falling. 116 and 117, uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. The psalmist is saying something really important that God, his promise and his word are the hope and the stay of the believer and are our strength against falling. God, his promise, his word are the hope and the stay of the believer and our strength against falling. His language is uphold me according to your promise. The psalmist focuses in on the promises of God and says, let's say to him, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always be faithful to you. He also focuses in on God's word, on God's word. Hold me up that I may be safe and have some regard for your statutes continually. And then the emphasis on God himself. Hold me up that I may be safe. In the fight against idolatry, we must ultimately depend on God, on his promise and his word. William S. Plumer, without God's grace, we are as weak as water. The greatest weapon we have in the fight against idolatry is God himself. To be with him, to know him, to love him, delight in him, to treasure him, to commune with him, to be under his word, to dwell on his promises, to believe those promises and rehearse those promises to ourselves. That's why we need to be under the word on the Lord's day, week after week after week after week. Because you can get to Monday and you can have forgotten the promises you heard on Sunday. And we need to be together week after week under the word, believing the word, hearing the word, memorising the word, rehearsing the word back to ourselves, studying the word, reading it again, reading it again, hearing it, praying it. Because God and his promise and his word are the hope and the stay of the believer and our strength against falling. Five, meditate on God's just judgment against those who willfully rebel. 118 and 19, 119, you spurn all who go astray from your statutes for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. The psalmist is meditating on God's judgment against those who willfully engage in rebellion against him. He spurns, discards them and bids them look at the consequences of their sin and tremble. That language will actually be used in the very next verse. Why does that not always work? Why do not the consequences of sin, and we've seen ruinous consequences for sinful decisions in the lives of individuals and families, why does that not turn us away from sin sometimes? Number one, because the desires are so strong to have that what you do not have, you cease to see the consequences. And secondly, the one who falls prey to the sin thinks, that doesn't apply to me. Though they may have faced the consequences, I surely won't. But the psalmist said it is important for me to look at the consequences of rebellion against God in the lives of others. The Bible is filled with it. Our own experiences are filled with it. And it is important for us from time to time to just look at that. And that God has ordained that there is a connection between sin and misery and obedience and blessing. It isn't that we earn our salvation through our obedience. But God has ordered things. Misery always follows sin. 
blessing is that which is enjoyed by those who obey his word. And we need to remind ourselves of that because our desires can overpower our sight of that truth. In fact, everyone, every time someone takes a step of sinning, they have deliberately closed their eyes to that connection. And six, the fear of the Lord is the ultimate protection of the heart from idolatry. 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I'm afraid of your judgments. The fear of the Lord, the fear of God is the protection of the heart from idolatry. The Old Testament speaks of the fear of God, the fear of the Lord as the heart of religion. It's the way that piety is described in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord aren't contradictory. They go together. If you love the Lord, you fear him. If you fear the Lord, you love him. And in our minds, there could be tension about that. And in this verse especially, the first of the two verses, words used for fear, is never used in a description anywhere else in the Old Testament for those who fear the Lord. It is a word of trembling. My flesh trembles for fear of you. There is an awe, there is a fear in the sight of God. And while that may seem strange to us, love and fear side by side, think how often it appears. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12, but now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Do you see how fear and love go in this, together in the service of the Lord? And it's not just an Old Testament thing, Hebrews 10:31, and follow in a passage that we haven't gotten to yet, but reminds us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And our God is a consuming fire, which is a biblical thing. John Murray said, The fear of God in which godliness consists is the fear which constrains adoration and love. A fear that consists in all reverence, honour and worship, and all of these in the highest level of exercise. It is the reflex of our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. Fear and love together. John Calvin, true godliness, true piety consists in a sincere feeling which loves God as Father and reverences and fears him as Lord and dreads offending him worse than death. True piety is loving God as Father and so fear him as Lord that even if there were no hell we would tremble to offend him. There is fear and love and that's important for us to understand. David Dixon, the godly, because of the remainder of sin in them and their natural frailty are not exempt from a sense of terror of God. In fact, it is necessary that now and then it be exercised in them so they might be kept in their awe and their joy be tempered with fear and trembling and their prayers sharpened and they be kept watchful and their obedience furthered. Henry Martin was a missionary who died young because of his determination to take the gospel to foreign lands. Says this in his journal, in prayer this evening, I have had such near and terrific views of God's judgment upon sinners in hell that my flesh trembled for fear of them and I flew, trembling to the Lord Jesus Christ as if the flame were taken a hold of me. O Christ, save me or I perish. Now that is a man who had left his native land and foregone an engagement in order to share the gospel halfway round the world and that combination in his heart of a trembling and a love. My flesh trembles for a fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. The fear of the Lord is the protection of the heart from idolatry. When you see God as your father, and you love him, and you understand that God is the Lord, and you reverence him, and you hold him in awe, only then is that heart ready to take on the assault of the world, 
the flesh of the devil to tempt us to double-mindedness. So the psalmist is again tonight reminding us of why we need the word of God. It is a dangerous world out there. It is an even more dangerous world in here. We need God and his grace and his word that we might be sold out in our hearts in a devotion to him. It's been a cry of my heart that we might be a devoted people, devoted to God, devoted to his word. And I would love it that we would be devoted to his promises. May the Lord bless the word for his glory and our eternal good. Amen.